morning. Glad you're here. It's turned into a beautiful day, hasn't it? It's very, very beautiful. I was a little concerned yesterday when it started raining, um, just that everybody sharing in the baptism and watching the baptism would get wet. Not only the people, <laughs> not only the people participating in the baptism. We've had those. We've had those where everybody gets wet. Um, but beautiful day, great picture of just God's goodness and uh, the way he's blessed us. So I'm grateful for that. We're wrapping up a, a series of messages that have called We Are Not Alone. And we've been looking at the God who's out there. Hollywood keeps making these movies because there's this facet, these alien movies, there's this fascination with the supernatural and the extraterrestrial. 16 alien movies made last year, that was a record. There's 12 coming out this year. Um, the studios keep making these movies because they make money on them. I mean, they make millions. It's a popular theme. Because we humans are fascinated with what's out there, what's in the beyond. We, we want to know. Now, if I'm writing a, a fictional novel or a movie script about aliens, or a fictional novel that I hope becomes a movie script and I can make millions, uh, if I'm doing that, I'm free to create the characters that I want to create. It's, it's my book. I'm writing it to make my point. And I can just let my imagination run wild. I can just let it go. These aren't real people. They aren't real beings. They're, they're just, I'm making them up. I made them up. So I can do what I want with them. We all know that when you're getting to know uh, a real person, it's very different than characters that you see on the movie screen or action that you see. In fact, the main reason we can watch some of that stuff and not die of a heart attack in the middle of it is we know it's not real. We know it's made. It's just make-believe. It's made up. It's not. That's why we could do it. Someone's imagination is just running wild, and we're watching it in living color on the screen. Uh, it, it matters if you're getting to know a real person that you get to know who that person is. It doesn't really matter what you imagine them to be, the ideas you have about them. As you begin to relate to them and get to know them and maybe rely on them, it becomes very important who they really are. For instance, if you had the opportunity to meet Donald Trump, if you had the chance to spend some quality time with him, your ideas about what he's like, you'd bring into that, that meeting, that introduction. You probably heard about him in the media, so you've collected some ideas about what he's like and who, who he is. If you watch Celebrity Apprentice, you know, you have a pretty good idea about what's important to him. You have definite opinions about who he really is, what he's like. But the truth is, your ideas about Donald Trump aren't going to really change who he is. So if you get into a business deal with Donald Trump, let's say you get into a business to get deal, deal with him, it matters who he really is because he's a person. He's not an idea. And one of the themes about him you may have picked up is he's a wealthy, benevolent man. 
And if I do a business deal with him, then he's going to make sure it works out great for everybody involved. That may be an idea. That From Celebrity Apprentice, that's what they do. They, they do these things to create money for, and he gives money to charity. So that could be an idea that, about Donald Trump. I, I think he's a wealthy, and, and I think there's probably a part of him that, that is that way. But if you get into a business deal, you're going to find out who he really is. If you go in holding on to your idea throughout the whole negotiation that he's a wealthy, benevolent businessman who's going to make sure that it works out for everybody and you just sort of let him take charge, you're in trouble. I, I, it doesn't matter what your idea about him is. It matters who he really is. He's a person, not an idea. It's the same with God. God is a person, not an idea. So as you get to relate to him, as you begin to get to know him, and you begin to relate to him, it matters who he is, not who I think he is, not my idea about him. We have the ability in the Bible to go back and listen in on conversations that God has had with people throughout history. This is one of the conversations we're going to look at that, that God had with a person in history. It was, it's with Moses. He gave Moses the assignment to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. And when Moses meets God and gets this assignment, he says to God, Moses said to God in, in Exodus 3, 13 and 14, he says, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Who, what do I call you? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Interesting. That's the name God chooses for himself. I am. In our culture at large, we tend to think of God as an idea. So if God is an idea, then one idea about him is just as valid and as good as any other idea about him. And so we tend to evaluate the different God ideas based on what works best for us. That makes sense to us Americans. If it works, go with it. Whatever works best, that's what's good. We tend to say, whatever you believe is cool about God, um, if it works for you, that's great. In this conversation with Moses, God gave himself the name, I am who I am. I am the one who exists. I am the uncreated one. This is what he's saying. I am absolute reality. He existed before anything else. He, he always was. This means, what this means is, we're going to do better since he's the uncreated one that created the universe and the people in it, the people on this earth. Since he's the one who created us, we're going to do better if we learn who he really is and then shape our lives according to his reality, not a reality that we're trying to create, not one that we're trying to make up. We shape our lives to his will. Not our own will, because he's the one in charge. He's the one who made it all. And he's designed it to work the way he wants it to work. So, since God is a person and not just an idea, he's not going to conform to my ideas about him. 
He is who he is. I am who I am. He exists. He's absolute reality. In fact, things don't go well. If I try to shape my ideas about him and create an understanding of life that is unreal in that way, that doesn't match who he is and what he said is important. So in this series, what we've been doing, and we're wrapping it up today, we've been looking at who God has shown himself to be in the Bible. And we're looking at the God who is really there and then unwrapping the meaning of who he is for our daily lives. Because that's important. What we believe about God affects every part of our life. It it flows into every part. So we've been digging in. And what we found is that God introduces himself to us as Trinity. Tri-unity. You find that God is not like the Greek and Roman gods, uh, who were basically supersized human beings. They're just supersized. Same characteristics, same character traits, some flaws, some good stuff. But it's just supersized human, human being. God is not an import personal force. He is a real person that we need to know and understand for our good. And so that's what we've been doing. The Bible reveals that God is three persons in one being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now this is mind-boggling. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I went to graduate school and worked on some of this stuff. Still mind-boggling. There's a certain amount of mystery to this. It's not something you can make up. I mean, would you think of that? Hey, let's make a God. Three persons in one being. You don't make that up. But it's very valuable to know this about God. And that's why I've been talking about it. It's important to understand this is the God who is there. This is the one that's revealed himself. In the Bible, we discover that God is three distinct persons, yet still only one God. And we do better to accept this as truth and as a part of getting to know the God who is really there than to try to understand it on our level. Whenever you try to illustrate the Trinity and who God is, it just breaks down. It, because there's only one of him. No one compares to him. No one is like him. There's only one. And so it's better just to accept that this is who he is and this is how he, he relates. So we gain a better understanding of each person of the Trinity as we see the role they play in accomplishing God's purpose in the world and how they relate to each other in that, in, in that purpose. So we've been digging in and looking at what God has done and how each person in the Trinity plays a role in that. Today, we're going to focus on the role the Holy Spirit plays, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. First, I want to look at how those three persons work together to accomplish God's purpose in the world. Because what we find is God makes a unified effort to accomplish his purpose. Since he's three in one, we can see him work within his own being to accomplish his purpose. Each member of the Trinity has a name. It identifies their role. The father is the planner. He, his will sets everything into motion. His plans rule. It's important to know that and understand that about God. His plans rule in the world. The Son, 
Jesus Christ carries out the will of the Father. He makes it happen. He's the one that came to earth to make his will uh, happen in, on the earth. The Holy Spirit takes what the Father has willed and the work that Son Jesus has done and applies it to our individual lives. So we're going to see how that is in a little bit. But we see the, the Trinity more clearly as these three persons play a distinct role in accomplishing God's purpose in the world. Jesus' disciples, they used to argue over who was the greatest or who was going to be the greatest in the, in the kingdom. You know, when Jesus set up his kingdom, when he ruled the universe, who's going to be the greatest? They argued about it. And there's something in all of us. We want to be great. We do. You know, it's an embedded thing in our hearts. We want to be fantastic really and so they were doing what normal human beings do they were in these little skirmishes about who's going to be great in fact this is so normal you you see this theme crop up in the world of sports it's the major goal of every world-class athlete to be the greatest in their field that's why they work so hard that was the tagline of muhammad ali I'm the greatest. You know, Cassius Clay became Muhammad Ali. I'm the greatest. This matter of who's the greatest or who's going to be the greatest is a very old question. And it was on the minds of Jesus' disciple. A disciple of Jesus Christ has decided that he's the greatest. And I'm going to live for him. That's, that's bottom line what it means to follow Christ. He's the greatest and I'm going to live for him. And he really is. He's God. But while he was on earth, Jesus never got into that argument. Never once did he participate in the argument over who was greatest. Instead, he demonstrated humility and self-sacrifice to fulfill God's purpose on this earth. Amazing. The one who's the greatest humbled himself. God himself, since he's Trinity, is an example of how to mount a unified effort to accomplish a purpose. So we're going to dig into this. This is an important lesson for us and how to work together in, in our family life, how to work together in uh, work life here in church and doing ministry together. Great example. God himself sets it. So we're going to dig in and look at it before we dive into the work of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son, Jesus. That's his role. The Holy Spirit doesn't clamor for attention to be drawn to himself. His goal is to get people to focus on Jesus. Look at John 16. Jesus explains this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is his role. Jesus said the spirit will bear witness to me. He will glorify me, and that's what he does. He's not trying to draw attention to himself, but his great desire is for people to be preoccupied with Jesus Christ. He's not trying to clamor and, and draw attention to himself. He submits to play his role in the purpose of God. In the same way, Jesus follows the Spirit's lead and submits to the Father's will. Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He submits to the Spirit and follows him into the wilderness. 
Jesus said in John 8, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he submits to the Father in prayer. So you see him submitting, Jesus, to the other persons of God, the being of God. Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He submits. In the same vein, the Father draws people to Jesus, the Son. John six forty-four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. They're working together on this. And I will raise him up on the last day. He sent the Son to do the work of salvation that we need that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But the Father is drawing people to Jesus. If you feel drawn to follow Christ, maybe you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, and you feel drawn to follow Christ, that's the Father drawing you. That's what he's doing. That's his, his role. Each member of the Trinity supports the other perfectly as they play their role. They point faithfully and selflessly to the other in a gracious circle. That's how you mount an effort to get something done. You cooperate with each other. You play a role. You accept your own role. You understand the, the way authority works within your role, and you live it out. Dallas Willard says, The advantage of believing in the Trinity is not that we get an A from God for giving the right answer. It's not academic. The advantage of believing in the Trinity is that we then live as if the Trinity is real, as if the cosmos around us actually is beyond all else. And it is. We live on a planet in the midst of stars, and we look at the stars, and it creates this sense of wonder, so we come up with alien movies that describe what's out there, (laughs) different imaginations of, of what could be out there. But more than living on a planet in the midst of stars, we live in the presence of a God who loves us and who has set the ultimate example for us by showing us how to mount a unified effort to accomplish a purpose. Work together. Submit to one another. Play the role. Accept the authority you have. Play the role that God's given you. If it's, if it's a role of submission, you, you play that role. So today we're going to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Last week, we talked about our need for salvation. The Bible says that every one of us has sinned. We've all gone our own way. That means basically we've rebelled against God. He gave us a choice of whether or not to follow him, and we decided not to. Every one of us. That's what it means to sin. Rather than doing his will, what he wants, the way he wants, we've done our own will. We've gone our own way. And that separates us from knowing God personally. That's what Scripture says. Now, God, you find out in the Bible, loves us too much to allow that separation to continue. So he set a plan in motion to remove the barrier of sin and bring us back together with him. Now, this is the way a close friend of mine puts it. I love this description, so I'm just going to relay it to you. When it comes to sin and the distance it puts between God and us, We're treading water. It's like we're treading water in the middle of the Pacific Ocean without a life preserver. Can you imagine that? You might not want to. If you don't like water, it's probably not good. 
But you're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, treading water. You you don't have a life preserver. It's only a matter of time before our strength gives way and we slip into the deep forever. Some tread water for 20 years. Some tread water for 90 years. But all of us have a limited amount of time to be rescued. We can't swim our way to land. Some are better swimmers than others. But no one's going to make it to land. We just can't do it. Some are morally better than others, but we all fall short of the distance between God and ourselves. Long before we had the sense of need to be rescued, the Father saw our predicament and he put together a plan to rescue us. He sent the Son of God, Jesus, who launched the boat into the rough seas of the sinful world to cover the distance between us. So what he did is he took on a human body so he could position himself close enough so that we could grab his hand. That was his role. But for all the planning that the Father did to rescue us and all the sacrifice that the Son, Jesus Christ, made to cover the distance between us, We don't have the spiritual strength to reach out, even. It's the Holy Spirit of God that can get inside of a body like ours, that gives us the understanding and power we need to do more than we could do on our own. This is his role. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, we could never reach out to grab Jesus' hand the saving hand of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God brought to bear on an individual life. He he applies the work of God to our, what God's done, his plan and his work, he applies it to our individual lives. Before Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit would come and go. That's what you find in the, the first half of the Bible, first part of the Bible. King Saul, you see in him, Holy Spirit would come and go. He'd go from timid to bold and back again, back and forth, back and forth. The forgiveness of Jesus, since he cleanses us through his death on the cross, if we accept what he's done there and give our life to follow him, the forgiveness of Jesus provides the insulation that we need for the Holy Spirit to live in us. So when we decide to follow Christ, he comes and lives in us to help us do what we couldn't do on our own. So, Now, the Spirit helps us to do the Father's will and continue Jesus' work on the earth. After his death and resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. And here's a conversation that he had with his disciples right before he ascended, Acts 1. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know Times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of sight. So the disciples asked Jesus, When are you going to destroy Rome and set up your kingdom so we can rule with you? When is this going to happen? Jesus points to the Father. It's his plan. He set it into motion. He knows the timing. He knows when it's going to happen. 
But for now, this is more important for you to know. The Holy Spirit is going to come inside you and help you accomplish what I want you to accomplish. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the role he plays in our lives. He helps us in our family life, in our, in our ministry here in church, in our work. Whatever it is, he, he helps us to accomplish God's purpose for us, to, to, make, to make it real and come alive. He brings us alive. So here's two ways the Holy Spirit helps us. First of all, he gives us the power to understand. John 14 says, Jesus answered him, and this is what he said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and, he, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The words Jesus speaks, they're the Father's. The Father sent Jesus and then will send the Holy Spirit to teach and remind us about what Jesus has said. So what the Holy Spirit does is he's the one that shines the light on God's word at the right time and in the right way to help it make sense to us, to help us understand it. He, he turns the light on. So what he does is he helps us apply the teaching. We won't understand it without him. Other times he convicts us with the teaching, and that, that's just specific correction. You, you, he, he creates a conviction that, wow, I was wrong there, I need to change. That needs to be different. The vocabulary the Holy Spirit uses, and this is why we go over this every week in, in worship, the vocabulary the Holy Spirit uses in our lives is the Bible, the Word of God. The more you know it, the more he can say to you. The more he can speak to you and lead you and give you the guidance that you desperately need. He has more that, that he can say if you're soaking in the scripture and allowing it to, to, to lead you. For instance, this week, I, every morning, I try to every morning get, get into the word. Somehow I'm trying to soak in the Bible. And allow God to speak to me through it. And I'm, I'm a guy, you know, when you're living life, you make decisions. And not everybody likes your decisions. They don't all like your choices. Well, I'm, I'm a guy who loves harmony. And, in fact, they have a test. The Gallup organization put this test together. It's called Strengths Finder 2.0. You can go online take the test. And I went online. My number one strength, harmony. And so... As I'm making choices, one of my vulnerabilities that I have is I get concerned about what other people are thinking about the choices I make. I think that's kind of normal. I'm probably supercharged in that way. So I really, as I make choices, I'm, I'm wondering, how's the, what, I wonder what they think about what's going on. Well, I was reading this this week in Matthew 22, and... Jesus' enemies had decided they're going to try to trick him with a theological question. And they made a comment before they sent the guy with the question who was going to try to trick Jesus. 
They made a, a comment about how he is. It was a very accurate comment. They said, we know, this is what they said to Jesus, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. And when, when I read that, and that was the way Jesus was, which was a very accurate picture that his enemies had, whew, instant fortification with me. You know what the most important thing that you can do in any given situation is what's right before God. It it doesn't matter what everybody around thinks. It doesn't. Jesus wasn't concerned about, oh, if I say this or do this, what are they going to think? What's going to go on with that? He was concerned about doing what's right. That That was so characteristic of him that his enemies were willing to admit that. And when I read that about him, instant fortification, that really spoke to me. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He takes the word of God and he brings it to bear and he shows us how it applies to us. Without him, you can't understand spiritual things. You can't get it. So we need him. We need him to keep opening up the realms of understanding of who God is and how he works so that we can live to fulfill his purpose. That's what he does. So that's one major way the Holy Spirit helps us. It's by giving us the power to understand God's word and God's ways. The second is he gives us the power to do it, to do what we find in Scripture. He gives us the power to do God's will. Ephesians 3, this is a prayer. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, and it goes on. This prayer is for strength. Look who it's directed to, the Father. It's his will that gets done. So the prayer is directed to the Father. How are we strengthened? With power through the Spirit in our inner being. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. He he fortifies us and strengthens us. Last May, uh, almost a year ago now, hard to believe, we, uh, my son Thad and his wife were expecting, his wife Gina, they were expecting a baby in June, early part of June, but this is, toward the middle part of May, got a call from Thad, and they had just been to a routine doctor visit, and the doctor said, there's some problems we see in the sonogram, so we need to induce labor right now. And so I'm working, and uh, I'm thinking, I'll I'll just go back, keep working on what I was working on. Well, my wife has been helping in the office temporarily, and so she got word as well, obviously, and we're just... In my mind, we're going to go back to work. And then I began to think about the possibilities. And I, I thought, if something goes wrong, because Cindy, like most moms would do, well, are we going to go? And I thought, oh, no, let's go back to work. Our plane tickets are three weeks away. We'll just go and we were going to go, you know. And uh, anyway, as I sat there, I thought, I really want to be with them. What if there is something really wrong? You know, when babies are being born, you find out all kinds of problems that could be that you never thought of. 
In the sonogram, his stomach appeared too small. It didn't seem to be developing. Went on the Internet, found out what that could mean, all kinds of stuff. You don't really, shouldn't probably do that. I don't recommend it, honestly. You go, and you're like, oh, oh, wow, now I could really worry about what's going on. So I'm like, oh, wow, that, who would have thought? His stomach's a little small. That's going to create a lot of problems. And so they thought there were some real problems with the baby. And so as I'm sitting there trying to think this through, I realized I really want to be with him. And some friends of ours had the sense to realize it would be good if we were there. And they made it possible for us to fly back. Why was it important for us to be there? Because there's only so much help and support we can give at a distance. So we wanted to be there. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God doesn't stay at a distance. He wants to draw close. He wants to draw so close that he's willing to live inside and give us the understanding and the power that we need to do what he's asking us to do. The Holy Spirit is God in us, giving us the help we need to choose to rely on him, not ourselves. To choose to do the things that we can't do. Our focus in this is to follow the Spirit's lead one step at a time. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. He gives us spiritual life. He gives us life. He brings us alive. And we, we walk by Him. Notice something important. We live by the Spirit and follow the Spirit. He's not going to follow us. He's not some kind of auxiliary power pack that we carry around that when we run out of fuel, all of a sudden he jump starts us to get us going again. If we're going to receive his power, if we're going to experience his power in our lives, we must submit to him and follow him. We have to walk in him, by him, with his strength. There are two realms in the scripture that you see. This is important to understand. I don't have a lot of time to go into it. But there are two realms, being in the spirit or in the flesh. In the spirit, you are relying on the spirit of God and the help that he brings. The good stuff grows there. The right kind of character, the really good stuff, it grows there and it makes life good. In the flesh is the other option. That's where we're relying on ourselves and our old strategies and our old ways to get what we want. It stinks in the flesh. The flesh stinks. I'm telling you, it stinks. It's, it's stuff that grows in there like bitterness and anger and malice, which is just deep-seated ill will toward other people. For, you just hold on to it. You just, you don't, you know, you don't like them. Seriously, you may hate them. Malice. Foul, foul language grows here. It stinks. This, this realm stinks. The choice is ours. Are we going to follow the Holy Spirit and live in the realm of the Spirit, or are we going to live in the realm of the flesh? God gives us the choice. If we choose to do life our own way, we continue to choose to do life our own way, it stinks. If we, if we choose to rely on the Spirit, then life gets good. The good stuff grows. The right kind of fruit. It's juicy and tasty, and it's good. Walk by the Spirit, and he leads us to the life 
that God made us to live. He, 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 he leads us to the good life he created for us. But since we've sinned, since we've broken our relationship with God, we have to accept what Jesus has done to bring us back together with God. When we accept him, his spirit lives in us to help us grow, to help us become the people he's made us. And then from that day forward, we have the, the opportunity to live in the spirit. We don't always, we get back into the flesh and we have to confess what's going on, admit it, and get back into the realm of the spirit. But that's where the good stuff grows. He is the ongoing power source for living the life God created us to live. What, what an amazing thing God's done. I'd like to wrap up the message this morning by asking you to think through your next steps. I don't have a lot of next steps lined out for you today, but what has God said to you? What is, what is something that he said to you? If you haven't yet decided to follow Christ and you'd like some information about what that means, let us know. On the back of the connection card, if you'd pull out the connection card from the program and use this time to finish completing any information or next steps that I'm suggesting, that'd be great. Um, if you would like some more information about what it means to follow Christ, there's on the right of the back of the connection card, there's a place to say, I'd like more information about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us know. We want to help with that. Um, here's some suggestions for next steps. You can fill that card out, drop it in the offering when it comes by. Galatians 5.25. You could memorize that. Great passage, very short verse, but great reminder. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And then you could sign up for the 401 class if you're ready to do that. If you're a first-time guest with us today, we're really glad you're here. And we have a gift for you. It's on the table through the double doors to the left. There's a little Ohio table. It's a book called What on Earth Am I Here For? Uh, I think you'll find that helpful. Uh, feel free to pick it up, and, and I hope it does help. We're going to uh, continue to worship God through our uh, offering and through song, and then we're going to share in the baptism at the close of the service. Really glad you're here. Um, <clears throat> if you're being baptized today, would you, would you mind standing? just like to recognize you. Would you stand? Give you a hand. Great. That's great. This is going to be a good day where we celebrate what God's done in, in the life of these folks and what he wants to do for all of us. Would you pray with me? Our God, we come to you. We thank you for the truth that we find in your word that really does set us free, God. It, it, it is... You, you are the one who draws close. You, you came in the person of Jesus Christ to bring salvation, and you make it alive in us through your Spirit. What a plan. Thank you for being such an example to us of how to work together to accomplish a purpose. Help us to work with you, dear God, as we play the role that you've given us in this world. There's so much life and meaning in you. Help us to find it. Help us to continue to rely on you, not ourselves, to do what you've called us to do. We ask for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.